0: You already know everything they could teach you, you already know everything they could say, we are here to remind you what you already, already, already already know. Welcome back, beloveds. I am here, Sophia Wise One, your host on Vagina Talks. We are here today with someone I'm very excited about, just in terms of the subject that they teach. I'm losing my mind over it. I can't wait to just get her amped and her mouth running for you to listen to. We are here today with Amanda Laird, a holistic nutritionist, but not the kind that makes you feel shitty about drinking wine or eating chips specializing in menstrual and hormonal health, right? Right place. She is the host of the Heavy Flow podcast and an advocate for clear, honest, and intelligent exchange
2: about health and wellness. Amanda, welcome. Thank you, Sophia. I'm so excited to be with you today. So I
0: am excited that you're here and I just really keep getting this feeling like I just want to get you amped and going like that's the feeling I keep getting like what do I need to say to you that's just gonna like set you off on the run like what kind of just gets you like ranting about menstrual everything uh it really does not take much <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with what would your vagina
2: superpower be Ooh, my vagina superpower um Well, I feel like my vagina, like, is my superpower. It's kind of like the source (laughs) of all my superpowers.
0: (laughs) Excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, so I am really into this notion that we completely do not understand our mis- educated, yada, yada, yada. It's a big fucking shit show around menstruation, what it is and what it isn't. Can you just kind of get into it? And I don't know, tell me some things what it is and and what it's not.
2: Sure. Um, Okay, well, uh, I think the first thing to illuminate for listeners is that when we we often um, we often Segment our actual period bleed from our menstrual cycle. And because our actual period, the days that we are bleeding, um, are the most outward sign of our overall menstrual health, um, we have a real tendency just to focus on those, you know, that first week. Um, And so it gets all the glory, but there is actually, you know, an entire menstrual cycle um, that is just as important, if not even more important than those days that we're bleeding. So I always remind people that it's not just your period. um, It is your menstrual cycle. And our menstrual cycle is really an important indicator of our health and wellness. Um, because a healthy and vital menstrual cycle leads to just our health and vitality overall. And so um
0: hormones Cassie a question about that. Yeah, I think you're yeah. about to answer it, but so what does a healthy like what the fuck are we talking about? What does a healthy menstrual cycle look like, sound like? What are the signs of what, what
2: are the signs? Of a healthy okay. menstrual cycle. So healthy. Um, you know, there are some guidelines, but there's also some caveats to those guidelines mm-hmm. as well, because I always say as well, and I think we, you well, we can come back to this, that it's really important to know your normal as well. Um, but in general, um, your menstrual cycle should be somewhere between 21 and 35 days. So when we are in middle school learning about sex ed menstrual cycles for the first time. We're often told that uh, menstrual cycle is twenty eight days, and that's just the way that it is. That twenty eight day number is actually more of an average. so you can have a few days on either side of that and still be completely within a normal range. Um, and your first half of your cycle is your follicular phase. So that's from day one of your menstrual cycle. So when you're actually starting your bleed, that counts as day one to the day before you ovulate. That is your follicular phase. And there can be some um, variation on this side of your cycle. So I don't want to get this wrong. So hang on just one second. Okay. You'd think I would know this off the top of my head.
0: Oh I love this. I can hear the pages
2: <laughs> so, <good. laughs> so, okay, so your so your follicular phase can be between seven and twenty one days. So that's really the longer side of your cycle. Whoa. And um if you are very young or you're approaching perimenopause, there can be some. A variation on that side, and it's a little bit can be a little bit longer. Um, but then, after your follicular phase, you ovulate. So, that's when the egg is released from the ovary and it's either implanted because you've become pregnant or it's, it's not, you don't become pregnant. So, that second half of your cycle is called the luteal phase, and that happens from the day after ovulation to the day before you start your next period unless, of course, you're pregnant. And that phase is a little bit more static. It is about 10 to 16 days. Um, It can be a little bit shorter if you have a progesterone imbalance, but it's not gonna be longer than that. Um, Pretty much, you will get your period two weeks after you ovulate um, and it won't, like you're not gonna ovulate and then get your period like three months later. If your menstrual cycle is a lot longer than 35 days, on that first half of your cycle on ah. the follicular phase. Yeah. But that second half luteal phase is always going to be approximately. So it's like three.
0: not so much that you're bleeding is late so much as your ovulation.
2: Yes, 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 yes. Um, And so that first half of your cycle and ovulation in particular is so, so, so sensitive to lifestyle factors like sleep, stress, stress, and your menstrual cycle are so tightly, um, so tightly related. And, um, you know, if you're stressed out, then your hormones kind of get thrown out of whack, and you're not going to ovulate. And so your body might put that on hold um, for a couple of days, if you have like a really big deadline at work, or I can even give you an example from my personal life. Like two weeks ago, I was totally leading up to my ovula- ovulation um, phase. I had all the signs—egg white cervical mucus. I knew I was going to be ovulating any minute. And then it was a Friday morning, and I got into a huge fight with my partner before, like, we even went to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. And after that, I had like a I had a, super stressful day. And after that, my cervical mucus just totally went away. So my body was like, nah, you're too stressed out. We're not ovulating. We're going to try this again in a couple of days. And lo and behold, after the weekend, he went away. Uh, After the weekend, we kind of talked about it, we made up, my life went back to normal. And then you know, a couple days later, I started to see those ovulatory signs pop up again. Um, So stress and your ovulation are so tightly entwined. Or if you're sick, if you haven't been sleeping, if you're sick, if you're really stressed out, like there are a lot of factors that can inhibit your ovulation. And so that's what is kind of screwing up your menstrual cycle, not just that your period is late.
0: Okay, so I'm having one of these like poetry moments, right? Where it's like, because I, one of the things that I love about the menstrual cycle is because it's the best creative strategic plan ever created, right? So it's like the, the way in which we kind of uh, move from a place of like internal quiet, cleansing, preparation, all of these things to this like expansion, connection, uh, you know, exchange and then back again inside, like this inside outside, right? It's like this beautiful mm-hmm. strategic thing, right? So I'm having this moment of like, okay, so this late again, it's like, okay, so knowing what your normal is, right? So if you have a normal, right, you're running late, that period coming late is more of an indicator of your ovulation being delayed. And so I'm just thinking about like the poetry of like ovulation, right? So when I think about ovulation, I think about um, connection. I think about expression. I think about um, like outward movement. Like I think about the kind of moving moving forward or moving out or putting out there. And I think for me recently, so I used to get really moody when I was premenstrual. And now I still get hormonal, but not particularly moody like I the the way in which my moods fluctuate are pretty um they're very familiar to me I know I'm in a very uh I'm listening to a subtler more sensitive landscape with my whole being and that's what I'm responding to and so I know that so I'm not particularly moody so much as just kind of paying attention right now the past couple years I've really been focusing on my cultivating and healing my relationship with pleasure and and confidence and kind of connection right and so I've really been thinking about um like well I've been noticing this is the true part. I've been noticing that I'm actually the moodiest when I'm ovulating, and I've mm. been feeling like I've been really moody because I am like i'm the i'm like i I feel very vulnerable in the way in which I have this um propensity to be expressive. And kind of more, I make more outward. I'm looking for connection outward. I'm um, like, I used to really hate being premenstrual and going inside because I didn't have a very great relationship with myself inside. There was like some major bullying that happened. I was pretty mean to myself. It was, it was pretty intense in there. So I really didn't like to go inside. I put up a lot of fight for that, that going inside time. Now I love that going inside time. I'm great company for myself. I'm very tender. and <laughs> like very, I just really trust her. She's like so good to me. So I can go in that way. The part where I feel really vulnerable now is this making offers to other people or putting my work out into the world that having inspirations or doing the work with myself feels much more safe now, but that putting it out feels like the thing that I get vulnerable and moody and irritable about. Like I have this way and where my moodiness is coming from a self-protective place and that I feel like Ooh. I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself out there. And so think, so yeah,
2: have <coughs> a little moment there. Yep. Yeah. That is so interesting. And, you know, I think um, I don't, I'm very interested in it, but I don't say that I put it into practice, but there are a lot of people who have done lots of research from a very scientific perspective, but then there's also a much more intuitive um, school of thinking. And interestingly, the two match up in terms of how your menstrual cycle can affect, you know, things like feeling more inward, feeling more um, introverted, and when you're during your period bleed, whereas when you're ovulating, you're much more outgoing, you're chattier. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very interesting, I think, um, to take a look at that. And I am very amazed at how the scientific studies that have actually drawn connections between hormones and hormonal shifts and things like appetite and mood and sleep and, um, again, like your chattiness, directly align with the kind of intuitive, Mm -hmm. um, intuitive insights that have been passed down just, you know, from generation to generation around those uh, menstrual cycles.
0: Yeah, well, I, I like to say, Amanda, when people get kind of kind of come at me a little bit for spirituality and science as though they are they're in conflict with one another or they need to be separated. I usually say something to the effect of, oh, come on, have a little faith in science. It'll catch up. Just give it some time. <laughs> I have great faith in science. They're just, just figuring out exactly how to track the things that we're already naming and, and, and explaining. Um, they're just subtler. So I, I think that's really delightful. I'm, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that because one of the things, well, it's not, I mean, it's this, it's related, right? So you're talking about the intuitive pass down from generations, but one of the things that you're really into is not necessarily an intuitive pass down on generations, but this notion of right off the bat, your menstrual cycle, um, and your body connecting with your body is, can be really, uh, informative for your life right? So it's like not, it doesn't have to have like this lineage of, of moon associations or anything, just the process of getting more connected with your own body and knowing your own cycle has, um, has positive impacts. I imagine part of that has to do with knowing yourself, um, and knowing, you know, like knowing I, you know, I can, I can better, when I'm listening to my body, I don't make choices that put my days or my evenings plans in conflict with how I'm feeling, which means I'm setting myself up to feel better in my life.
2: Yeah. And I think it even goes beyond that. I, I think that it's incredibly empowering to um, understand your body, right? Um, you know, totally. in our society, we put a lot of trust in a medical system. And, you know, you often, I, I know even myself, you know, I often just, well, in the past, I've taken what my doctor says at face value and just thought that, you know, the doctor is right, you know? Um, and when, so hang on a second, I'm not, I'm not expressing myself the way that I want to here. So there's value in, understanding your own body, because it can be incredibly empowering. And when you can get to know yourself, and you know what's normal for you, um, that can be incredibly empowering. You can use that as a diagnostic tool to see when things, you know, are going off the rails, not just um, in like, oh, well, you know, I'm in this phase of my cycle. And so I'm feeling a little bit more you know, my ener I have low energy, I'm feeling a little bit more introspective. But I think that by going to the doctor and saying, like, you know, all of a sudden, for the last three months, my menstrual cycles have been five days longer, or I've seen changes in my menstrual cycle, like, just understanding what's going on can empower you to then make better decisions about your own health. Just like an ownership
0: of of what, you know, I, I think what I hear in that is, you know, uh, a lot of the time when we go to doctors, or at least kind of there's a general notion of we go to doctors, we expect them to know all the information that they should be able to like, look at us or ask the questions and then know everything as though they don't need information. Right. So it's like. Even having that, there's like an element of like us knowing for ourselves, but then there's also an empowerment or a knowing of like having the information that's needed, like being able to answer those questions is a whole other level of being able to participate in that conversation. It's additive to what you're saying, I don't think, but it's.
2: Yeah, totally, right? And I mean, you hear a lot, especially in feminist circles, you hear a lot about this notion of informed choice, right? And so making an informed choice around birth control or making an informed choice around childbirth. Um, But I really question this notion that we can make an informed choice if we don't actually know what's happening with our bodies, right? Like when I was... Um, you know, in my early 20s, and I'm going on birth control, the hormonal birth control pills to regulate my menstrual cycle. Well, your birth control pills don't regulate your menstrual cycle, it suppresses your menstrual cycle. And I had no idea that that was, I was, you know, in my 30s before I learned that, right, like 13 years later, um, I learned how a Birth control pill actually works, and so because I cho- chose between the pill, the patch, the ring, an IUD, like was that really an informed choice? Yeah, I have a question. Is it true
0: that the the period that you get when you're on birth control isn't like a? It's like a fake
2: period. That is true. What does yeah. that
0: mean? <laughs> so <laughs> because so, there isn't a like a lining that's being produced, or that it's not like a. I'm just making things up. go ahead, answer i'm just I'm just hypothesizing. Would you please tell me?
2: <laughs> sure, so yes, you are correct, so I mean, I'm no expert in in this field um but from my understanding, um it's just the the bleed is a withdrawal from the hormones, so you take um when you're taking hormonal birth control, usually you take it for twenty one days. And then you have a week of sugar pills, or you take a break from the pills, or you take your ring out for a week, or however um, your actual contraception is working. Um, and it's actually the withdrawal of those synthet- after those synthetic hormones, um, after you've stopped taking those synthetic hormones that kicks your bleed, I'm using air quotes here, bleed into play. So when you have a menstrual cycle, there's, you know, hormonal, um, shifts that take place. So, you know, over the course of your follicular phase, um, estrogen is rising. Estrogen builds up the uterine lining, um, you have extra blood flow coming into the uterine lining because its purpose is to nourish um, a fertilized egg, right? And so there's hormones um, in play. And then after your you ovulate, if you don't become pregnant, then hormones kick in to then shed that uterine lining and start the process again. So there's, you know, gentle... There's some gentle rises and then there's hormonal surges of various hormones throughout your menstrual cycle that kind of kick into play, kick these things into play. Like, okay, uterine lining starts to thicken. Okay, ovulation time. Okay, now it's time to signal the the shedding of the lining. Whereas when you're on your, if you're taking hormonal birth control, it's much flatter. Um, and it's just a steady kind of flow of hormones at, at all times. And it's suppressing ovulation so it's suppressing that menstrual cycle and um, so it's not the same as having a regular period and interestingly enough the reason why we um, the reason why you have that bleed was actually used as a mark it was put in as a marketing tool so in early trials of um, hormonal birth control uh, you it just depressed your entire cycle. There was no bleed, but women, um, that were testing the product, um, were creeped out, were creeped out by it. Yes. <laughs> they were creeped out. They said that it was normal, uh, to have a, a period. And so we should be having a period. And it was also, um, a discretion thing as well. So, um, you know, the sexual climate in the 60s when the mm. birth control pill was gaining popularity is different than it is today. And so it was thought that if, um, you know, your partner or your family didn't see you having a period every 28 days, that then they would know that you were taking birth control pills. And there was some shame um, associated with that. Or And so in order to be discreet about pill youth um they they added this feature of of having this withdrawal bleed I'm having feelings
0: I mean I knew most of this already but not all of it and it's just uh yeah okay so that's a thing that's still happening to the majority of sexually active like menstruating Hormonally birth control. Yeah, I have feelings about that. That doesn't seem like the best answer to me.
2: I I agree. I, I mean I wanna make it perfectly clear that I am not anti birth control at all. No, me neither. If I'm just not, to be clear. Again, I'm not against birth control. I think that if you have made, if you've done your research, and you've made the decision that this is what's right for you, then, you know, I think that that's a powerful decision to make, and we should have access to it. And it needs to be, you know, available for anybody who wants or needs it. But I feel that, you know, like that picture that I just painted is not something that is, readily talked about uh, about how it actually works and you know we don't know what the the long-term dangers of suppressing your menstrual cycle are right because
0: it just just seems suspect to me you know what I mean like it's like it doesn't seem like the des like the it's it's fine as a process and like it's you know and I'm again I just want to put my own voice in there I'm in full support of birth control and for whatever works for you, I really, I really, am, like, who the fuck am I? I really mean that. Like, I really do. I just like the, the basic principle of it feels so consistent with just this perspective of just like, let's just make these things disappear. And it's, it, it just in my body just feels like that doesn't seem like a long term plan. You know, like, it just doesn't feel like the end destination. Like, okay, develop that skill as a possibility, but as like the end Go
2: ahead. And, and, you all. and I also think that, you know, the birth control pill is also, or any type of hormonal birth control, because it's not just the pill that's used in, in this way, but also some of the other um, variations that I, I mentioned earlier. Um, it's often used as kind of like a panacea, right? Like, oh, you've got endometriosis take the birth control pill. You've got polycystic ovarian syndrome and it, with irregular periods, take the birth control pill. You have PMS or P- PMDD, take a birth control pill. And I mean, these things, it's just like putting a, a, a Band-Aid on an open bleeding wound that needs stitches, right? Like you put a Band-Aid on, but you're not actually curing anything. And it, I personally see the birth, like when we're looking at the birth control pill, for like to I'm using air quotes here again <laughs> to treat um, menstrual disorders or diseases that affect menstruation or our reproductive or hormonal health it's it's like almost like we don't actually have to study them or understand right. them or actually come up with actual cures or ways to prevent them because you can just turn it off, right yeah and I I just personally don't think that that's the right approach, right? Like, yeah.
0: So let's transition here because I, I, sorry, go ahead. You can finish that thought.
2: I was going to say that I consider this to be a feminist issue as well, because, um, it's part of a larger systemic frame of oppression of women or people who are born with female reproductive systems.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, so a hundred percent, I agree a hundred percent. Again, it's like this whole, I think that's what I mean. Like it's, it's as a form of birth birth control as an option. It's like, Hey, keep it in the docket, but as the go to cover up for not being able to, to continue to not have to research, um, specifically female bodied health is, uh, is, is it's a, con- it's continued oppression for sure. So I want to talk a little bit here because you are, a resource that is different than the birth control pill. Right. Right. So, so for, for people that are, are, are in some of these states and are looking for additional ways to tend and care their body, there are options, right? And you are familiar with some of those options, correct? Uh, yes, I am. Well, um, tell, tell us, tell us what, what do you know? because and, and like, like to really like be clear here, like, okay, I get it. We get it. Right. Like a lot of us get it. And maybe some people are just getting it right now, in which case, let me take a breath and like, be gentle with you. Like this is, this is, sometimes this is new information. I've been getting it piece by piece over the, you know, past decade and a half. And it's been alarming every time. So if you just learn some new information with us today, I invite you to take a breath and to recognize it like, yeah, this is the landscape we're in. And the good news is there's lots of things. Like that's the sad part about this um, oversimplified, non-research, non-treatment of people um, is that there actually are a lot of things that we can do to shift and optimize our menstrual health. There's so many ways, um, PCOS, uh, endometriosis for PMS, PMDD that you know, and and fertility and all of that. Like they're, you know, there and back again. Um, there's so many uh varieties of ways to care for ourselves and optimize the health there. And and one of them is uh is ho- holistic nutrition among other things. So I'm gonna hand that back to you, Amanda, because that's that's your zone.
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, you know, we're kind of raised with this mentality that's what is common is normal, but that's not actually true. And there's a difference between something being common, like three out of four women experiencing PMS symptoms and what is normal, right? Um, Going back to what a normal period looks like or your normal menstrual cycle, um, you know, a little bit of fatigue, maybe some light cramping, um, but anything that doesn't go away with like taking an aspirin, you know, or not an aspirin, taking like an over-the-counter pain reliever really is beyond normal. And that's a sign that something in your body, particularly your hormones, might be out of balance. So one of the good things that I can tell you is that hormones are made by the food that you eat. So eventually what you eat is going to have an impact on on your hormones. Um, so changing what we eat might change our hormones. And I again, I always like to kind of have a caveat that says, you know, for some women who or anybody who is experiencing very painful periods or has something like endometriosis or something that's um, a more serious disorder, um, you know. For some people, there's no amount of green juice in the world that's going to cure you, right? It might help you manage your symptoms. It might help you lessen your symptoms. Um, but if you have some very serious issues having to do with your period, um, you know, holistic nutrition or holistic um, things might not be the full picture for you, Mm -hmm. but for somebody who, you know, is just experiencing maybe cramping or you're getting migraines. Um, and so, you know, you're not doubled over in pain in bed for two weeks. Um, but you're also not like prancing through a field of daisies either. (laughs) (laughs) If you're somewhere in the middle, then nutrition might be a good avenue for you. So, um, oftentimes what's happening when we experience, uh, pain, um, in our pain with periods is, uh, inflammation. So inflammation basically is just the, the tissues and the cells in your body, um, are irritated. That's where inflammation comes from. And, uh, what we eat has a large bearing on how much inflammation we have in our body. So, Uh, Some of this information might be new, but I would be shocked if any listeners were surprised to learn that sugar, alcohol, very heavily processed packaged foods um, can all be very inflammatory. And if these are making up a large part of your diet, then, um, and I say diet in um, just like as in this is the food that you eat, not like a a diet plan. Um, when I say diet, Mm -hmm. if these are making up a large part of your diet, then those could be contributing to, um, to PMS symptoms or, or painful periods, hormonal imbalance. So, um, getting rid of kind of junk food is a good place to start. Um, I as a nutritionist, I really am anti diet. I do believe in intuitive eating. I do believe that health comes at every size. So I never, ever, ever work with weight loss. Um, that's not uh, in my scope of practice. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, that's never my end goal, but just, you know, taking a look at what you're eating and uh, seeing, you know, if, if we might be eating too much sugar, too many refined processed packaged foods, drinking too much coffee, drinking too much alcohol and looking to see where we can maybe crowd out some of those less than optimal foods with more nutritious foods and again I would be surprised if this comes as a shock that we should be eating more vegetables and but one fruit. thing
0: one thing that I'll add here that I don't think that most – I really loved that language of crowding out that I, I don't think a lot of people understand really is that you really can – for many people, it's much more productive to think in terms of adding in um, nutritious things rather than taking things out of your diet so cutting back yes if you know there's like excessive whatever's if you put like if half your coffee cup is sugar cutting that in half so it's only a quarter of your cup of cup like you know that there's ways to kind of like do that process but that this notion of crowding out or eating nutritious food actually has an impact um if you are like listening and trusting your body um can you talk about that a little bit
2: uh, yeah, for sure. Like, I, honestly, I really think that small changes go a long way. And, you know, I would ne- never recommend to a client, and like, in fact, I would never even treat my own self this way by just saying, okay, tomorrow, like, that's it. Like, you're never going to eat chocolate again. You're never having ice cream again. No more coffee. Say goodbye to wine. Like, tomorrow, you're just eating, like, green juice and salads and, like, broiled chicken breasts. That is, not, that is not a healthy way to approach any type of dietary changes, right? When I work with clients on nutrition stuff, one of the questions that I ask them on, uh, on the intake form when we're first getting started is, are there any foods that you know that you are sensitive to or that don't agree with you? And pretty much everyone has something, right? Everybody already knows. They're like, oh, yeah, no,
0: I feel kind of crappy when I eat that.
2: Exactly. I know that dairy gives me horrible gas, or I eat eggs and I get a rash, or when I drink too much wine, my eczema flares up. Like, everyone has something that they know makes (laughs) them feel like shit, right? And so that's kind of where I – I like to start with people because you already know, you know how you feel when you eat it and you know how you feel when you don't and really tapping into that, you know, that I find um, that super empowering feeling of not feeling like shit, right? Because you've been kind of ingesting something over and over again that doesn't agree with you. if we can get to that place pretty quickly, then making those other changes are going to be a cinch. So really starting with whatever you know, and I'm sure people are listening to this podcast right now. I can imagine all these people just like shaking their heads. Like, like I totally mm-hmm. know. I know. Yep. I know. Let's good. just pause. We're just going to and-
0: pause. Everybody just take a breath. Think about that thing that, you know, makes you feel like crap. Decide. Maybe right now, if you're willing to change the way that you relate to that or eat it. It's up to you. It's just a choice. Take a breath. Everybody, you and me, Amanda, let's do it together. Take a breath.
2: Bye, cheese. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Uh trying to think. I have a, I have a couple things that I'm currently not eating because they don't make me feel good. And I just tried like a week ago to be like, oh, maybe I'll eat it. And then I ate it and I was like, oh, I feel so crappy. Mm. Yeah, and you know. so for, And I think that's the kind of thing that could change right now for me is chocolate. Chocolate and mm. peanut butter. They're not, they don't make, they stress my immune system. Mm. So, goodbye for now. That's, I'm very sorry to hear that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's it's one of my yeah. favorite combos. I know, it is a good
0: combo. And I know that for me, that's actually not a nutritional problem. It literally is an immune issue. But that until mm-hmm. an immune issue gets resolved, that's that's a way that I can really take care of and support my body.
2: Well, with, at the risk of sounding like a cliche, Sophia, we really are what we eat. And so, you know, what you eat is has a huge bearing on your immune system, your endocrine system, your respiratory system, like you cannot separate things like an immune issue from a nutritional issue. All right, touche, touche, good point, good point. Because, because, like, literally everything in our bodies is made up of like what we eat, or at least it's the, well, I shouldn't say that because that's more like, you know, a combination of like what our grandmother right. ate and then like our <laughs> <Right>. parents ate, <laughs> totally. but they, they made the car, but our, what we're eating every day is putting fuel in that gas tank. So if you've got like a, your car is breaking down all the time because you've been putting like discount gasoline in it. Yeah. Um, okay. But can you know, I ask you a question? Like
0: staying on this track?
2: Because I, what the sense
0: that I get is that, so, so I'll just be honest. I'll just be like uh, transparent. So I, um, I had a adrenal crash a year and some ago. And one of the things that happened in it was I was having back to back cold sore outbreaks. Mm. Um, and so one of the things that I know that can really activate a, a, a cold sore outbreak for me is uh, chocolate peanut butter coffee. I don't drink coffee, so that's uh, easy enough to let go. But one of the things that I did in the process of like recovering my adrenals and my immune system was taking out the things that would kind of just stress my system. So taking out chocolate mm-hmm. and peanut butter, I do really have the sense that when my immune system is strengthened and I'm, you know, and I think there's a lot of factors that are going into this process and I have intentions on working with, a with a naturopath who's also an herbalist pretty closely starting in the new year. Um, I was told that, uh, herpes outbreaks are related to, um, like cold sores are related to the Epstein-Barr virus. And that if I ever had mono, it could be related to, um, basically this residual kind of acting out. So like, that's just kind of a lot of kind of detailed information, but I have this sense like in my body that whatever is like running me down. And I have a sense that it's a combination of things I've spent the last year working a lot on my, emotional enmeshment patterns, knowing that the way that I was, um, taking on other people's energy was literally burning me out. Right. Uh So like taking on the emotional labor of other people was just wearing me down and that I had to change those patterns and get clearer in my being. If I wanted to have any energy, literally, like I was just exhausted and then my health and, you know, all of those things. So I have this sense that kind of in, when as these things shift and change that they're there, there it's very likely that a day from today, a day from today, some other day from today, eating chocolate will feel very good to my body. That that's a, that that's a potential. And I guess that's what I, am and, and I don't mean eating a lot of chocolate all the time. That's heavily sugared and overly processed. And you know, but that, cause I, I mean, I can't even, you know, just like raw cacao is something that's like not a good idea for me to eat right now, you know? So, um, and I have that sense, but it's like, one of the things that's really clear is that like that A, that's not now. Um, but B, um, there's things that would need to change before now and then. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm just saying you said that and I'm just like, is there space for that kind of knowing in your perspective too, of just being like, Someday this might make more sense, but like now it doesn't. Is that related? Is that, am I off well, subject?
2: <laughs> well, I, I mean, my approach, um, I, I honestly take like a one meal at a time approach to nutrition for myself personally when I'm, I'm feeding myself and also when I'm talking to clients because to say, I am never going to eat chocolate or peanut butter again, right? right? It really sets you up for a binge and restrict cycle, right? Right. When you're putting heavy restrictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I also want to say that, you know, there are medical conditions, like if you are celiac, right, right, you should never eat gluten, right? Right. Um, or you know, my daughter is allergic to the casein protein that's fil- found in um, my wife dairy is products. too. So so she she will never eat milk, right? <laughs> e- email products. So there are those caveats, right? But just for the kind of like general, like, Oh, I know, like, I know that this doesn't make me feel great. So I'm going to choose something different, right? Like you have to really take, take it with the, the, like what's in front of you. You're preparing a meal, you're ordering off a menu, you're stopping Mm. at a cafe to grab a snack. And it's not about like for every day for the rest of your life, because literally that's setting yourself up for failure when you are just saying, I'm never eating this again, Um, it's just in that moment, what do I feel like? What am I craving? What's going to make me feel good, right? And you know, sometimes like, you know, sometimes what can make you feel good on like emotional level is eating the chocolate and peanut butter, right? Like, you know, it's going to make you feel like garbage tomorrow, but you know what? I want it tomorrow. I can make a different choice right now. I'm going to eat it. Right. And sometimes that's the self-compassion and choice. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, you know, sometimes when people come and they do really intensive work with me, I often say to people like, you're going to leave. He'll, you know, you've just done my sessions or sometimes, you know, four to six hours, um, like one-on-one with someone that can be really, really long and really intense. And so I send people out and I'm like, you know, go eat what you want to eat like trust yourself right now. Don't, this is like, if you want to eat your comfort food, if you're comfort food, if you just want to eat a green smoothie, eat a green smoothie, but you know, be, be gentle and careful knowing that like tomorrow you're going to feel different. And I think that if we could walk around in our life, that tender with ourselves all the time, our eating and our relationship with food would be pretty different to begin with.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Right. And that's that. I think that the the roots of diet culture um are deep and mm. it's it's really hard to break free of this notion that um you know even if you are looking to make diet changes to help with PMS or your immune support your immune system or whatever um you're making even when it isn't necessarily related to weight we still often um take on this diet culture mentality of like oh I, well I want to be healthy So I'm never eating this, this and this again, right, which is just psychologically not a healthy approach to food, right? You know what, I want to eat healthy. So and I want to improve my periods, I want to feel more vital and vibrant. So today, when I am making my lunch, I'm I'm going to think about what's going to make me feel healthy and vibrant. And that's it. That's, and then when it's dinner time, you do it again. And when you're making yourself a snack, you do it again sometimes you can like do it in a batch, like if you meal plan, right, and you write out your your meals yeah. for the week, right? Um, obviously, you can batch that decision making. I know I certainly do not stand in front of my fridge and like, make a decision of what I'm going to make for dinner after a full day of work and like picking my toddler up from daycare. Uh, no, that shit is like written in stone, right? <laughs> like a week ago. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's still with that, that self that self compassion when I meal planning, like what I have a busy week, I know what I have going on. So, you know, how do how am I going to feel myself accordingly?
0: Do you find that most people do have a sense of what feels good and what doesn't feel good in their body or are people pretty disconnected? Um,
2: yeah, I would say that there can be a huge disconnect. Um, oftentimes I find that clients that I work with can be a little bit more like they're a little bit more in tune with their body because they're coming to me, um, because they don't feel good. Right. So they already, they already have that sense that they're not feeling good. Um, and so they're looking to nutrition to kind of figure that out right and if there's some people who definitely are so out of tune with their bodies that they don't know so that's when having a food journal and uh, keeping a food journal and tracking your symptoms can be um, really helpful so I don't necessarily recommend keeping a food journal for everyone um, because that can be like Pretty intense, like diet behavior. Right. But if you know that you're not feeling great and you are looking to maybe see where what you're eating is playing into that, keeping a journal along with like your symptoms can help to uncover that. Oh, every time I eat this, like ham and swish swish sandwich, I'm getting a migraine headache. Mm. Um, can be uh, super empowering. I dig it.
0: Before I have a couple closing questions before I get to my like official closing questions, my my next my 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 warm up closing question is um you know what what's one what I guess we did well I guess we already did those. I just I don't know. I was I feel like we just did two of those things. So like takeaways, right? So like um I, Yeah, I guess what I want to ask you is like Closing thoughts or sharing or comments around, um, like food, menstruation, um, anything in that stuff you can, it doesn't need to be short, but just kind of like that kind of like as you, is there anything else you want to say about nutrition and, and menstruation and, um, any of that stuff before we
2: kind of, before I change the subject? um. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would say um, that even like once you kind of get that junk out, right. And you're eating more plant-based foods, eating more vegetables, eating less sugar, eating less of that kind of like process package stuff. Um, thinking about how you eat, um, is just as important as what you are eating. And for any type of hormonal balance, it's really important to think about your blood sugar balance. So, blood sugar is probably something that you've only ever heard of in the context of diabetes, which diabetes is a disorder of your endocrine system, so it does play into your hormones as well. Um, But keeping your blood sugar balanced and avoiding some of those blood sugar spikes and dips throughout the day can actually help um, improve your menstrual cycles and your hormonal balance. So you really want to avoid spiking your blood sugar. So that stuff, like maybe having coffee after you eat breakfast in the morning so that, you know, a cup of coffee, isn't the first thing that you're putting in your gas tank, which is going to spike your blood sugar. And then it's going to crash later um, a couple hours later, and you're going to be looking for quick sources of carbohydrates, like a croissant to bring you back up. Right. Um, but something like a croissant is only going to spike your blood sugar again. So, um, this is also an easy way to kind of avoid some of those more sugary processed foods as well. If your blood sugar is kind of humming along at a nice even keel throughout the day, it's going to be a lot easier to reach for, you know, a hard boiled egg and some vegetables um, for your afternoon snack instead of like a cookie or a coffee or something sugary and sweet that's going to give you a quick rush of energy. So always making sure that anytime you're you're eating a meal or snack that you're balancing Macronutrients. So that doesn't mean measuring out X amount of carbohydrates. It just means that on your plate you have some carbohydrates. Generally, we look towards the more complex variety. So that's things like whole grains, sweet potatoes, starchy vegetables, um, which is going to give you some carbohydrates. You want some fat. So um, Something like nut butter or olive oil or coconut oil uh, or nuts are another great source of fat. And then also a little bit of protein. So either if you eat meat or animal products, um, some meat, an egg, nuts, beans, legumes, any great source of protein. Um, Tofu, organic tofu or tempeh. Um, is another good source of protein as well. So you want to be taking a little bit of each for your meal and your snacks, And that's going to help your blood sugar stay balanced, which is going to help keep your hormones balanced. And also, I find that's also the easiest way to make more nutritious choices with your food because you are not hangry and you are not about to keel over from lightheadedness or nausea because you're so hungry that you're just going to eat the first thing that you come across. Um, And and thinking about how you eat and regulating, keeping your blood sugar nice and even is the key to do that.
0: And am I correct in saying that just by like regulating our food, just in that most basic, simple way, we could reasonably... I, I hesitate to say the word expect, but like it, it, it would be, it's, it's common to have, uh, to have that kind of shift impact our menstrual cycle.
2: It can. Yeah, it can. I mean, I, I, I don't want to make any guarantees, right, right, obviously. Right. Um, it's hard to write a holistic prescription for anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many ifs, hands or buts that that come into something like this. But I would say that that's a good place to start, right? It's a good place to start. Um, And, you know, it might not mean, like it might take a while as well. So it might take some cycles um, before you start to notice changes. But if you have, um, you know, less blood sugar spikes, that's going to help keep your hormones more balanced. Um, If your inflammation is down, that can um, perhaps lead to less pain during um, menstruation or in your week leading up to like your PMS week beforehand. Um, Blood sugar balance is also great for like mood balance as well. So if you find that you get like super cranky in the afternoons when your blood sugar is lower, so it can really help with that too. Um, and so you might start to see changes. And then again, as I said earlier, like there's no guarantees. And especially if you do have something more serious, like endometriosis or something like that, you might not take it away, but it might lessen, lessen the pain. Perhaps you have to see what works for you.
0: Right. Right, right, right. This is like not advice, just kind of patterns to, to explore.
2: Definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're suffering, if you're suffering every month or approximately every month when you're having your period, uh, it's not like you're getting like amazing medical advice. So what do you have? What do you have? Like, it's not like you have amazing medical options, right? right. Totally. So what do you have to lose by exploring, like, eating more vegetables? Yeah, and I do. I appreciate. I really appreciate the blood sugar
0: regulation. I think that that really that really resonates with me. Being someone who definitely is like a hangry kind of lady and and that I'm definitely overall my whole being I know hormonally emotionally spiritually physically when I regularly eat my my whole life my whole existence is is uh is be- is really it's really better um and uh oh I was going to say something that was all lead up to say something else and now I don't remember what it was um there was something about what you said of just being like yeah it's like you have a lot of great other options out there, um, again, in terms of like non-holistic approaches, there's kind of many holistic approaches, but this starting from this place of just, um, regulating ourselves and feeding ourselves, you know, from my understanding and perspective is the first thing that does is it sets up the body. If there is an imbalance or if there is injury or illness on whatever level, you know, being emotional or spiritual or physical, that's a better setup for the body to recover and to repair itself. So, um, oh, I know what I was gonna say, and that that takes time, and so I really appreciated your like you know, give it a few cycles, so, if you're gonna be using, and you know I say this in general with anything, if you're gonna be using anything, be it food or a holistic approach, these are not um every once in a while you get that miracle overnight change, but that for the most part it's actually these approaches allow the body to recover and rebuild and change, and that that is a that's a slower, that's a slower process. And so to stick with it, to give it three to six months to see what what the impact is and, and stay with it and, and not expect to have everything be completely different in three weeks. Um, It's, it, you can k- kind of get a much better, better read on what the impact is, if you're willing to stay with it for some time.
2: For sure. And like, how long have you felt like shit? <laughs> right Like, how long did it take you to get to this point like you can't expect that you know it it's probably months years decades perhaps that you've been feeling this way so like yeah maybe if like you literally just started feeling like garbage yesterday that you might start like by eating a salad you might feel better tomorrow um but you have to be like super tender with yourself right like it took a long time to get to the point where you are today. And so, you know, bodies are amazing. Bodies are resilient. Um, but they need a little bit of time. So, yeah, it, it's going to take some time.
0: Beautiful. Okay.
2: Second to last
0: question, Amanda, is where can people find you um, and find your podcast? Really, if you're, you're, dig in this knowledge obviously we can tell we're just scratching the surface here of what amanda has to share and she's got the heavy flow podcast um where can people find you and what do you want them to do when
2: they find you (laughs) sure well they can go to my website amandalaird.ca and you can sign up for my newsletter i send out an email every week um and i often have special offers for nutrition consulting and whatnot um, on my newsletter. You can also follow me on Instagram at Amanda Laird. And if you want to listen to the Heavy Flow podcast, and it's not just me, I always have a guest um, as well talking about periods and other taboo health and wellness topics. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or you can stream it from my website as well. And subscribe, go to iTunes and subscribe. That's the best way.
0: Uh, Podcasts. Okay. So here's my closing question for you. So we are at this point and I kind of think humanity as an evolving thing is kind of constantly at this point, but we're here now. Right. And we can see where we are as being pretty problematic as a culture and as a planet. Right. Are we in agreement? hmm okay. I would say. I would say. Okay. And yet, uh, you are doing the work that you're doing, which leads me to believe that you really, truly believe that there is a better world possible. And that you've made a choice to work for that world. For better or for worse. Whether we get there or not, that it is possible. Correct? Yeah, I would say. Okay. So... I think I'm inviting you to help me weave what that world looks like
2: what oh. it feels
0: like what it smells like what it tastes like like where what is this what is this evolution this better this next place this thing that we believe in just an element just a thread in 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 the world that we that we want and we're walking towards and working for Mm.
2: Well, in my beautiful future, I see all people on this planet as having body sovereignty and sovereignty over their own bodies um, to make the best decisions for them without having that governed by people who
0: thank you I gorgeous no I am thrilled uh, and grateful for your support listening to bodies. this podcast I want to invite you to come check out the thank patreon. patreon thank you Do you think this thank you so much and thank you so much for joining us I'm grateful that it exists I want you to thank know I'm you. grateful that you this exist so great come join the patreon I call it okay. the temple. We are healing, we are musicing, we are podcasting. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. You can find it through Patreon, backslash Sophia Sophia Wise One, or through my website, (laughs) Sophia Wise One. (laughs) Remember, everything that we talked about in today's episode will be in the show notes, so go there
1: for links. For more content that you're going to love, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to this podcast. Share this episode with anybody you think you'll enjoy it, and share the love with a rate or a review wherever
0: you listen. And to find out about all the mad adventures I'm up to, check me out on Instagram, at Sophia Wise One, uh, or come to my website, sophiawiseone.com. Oh, oh,
1: you can subscribe to this mailing list by texting VTALKS to 668
0: I am Sophia Wise One, daughter of the wind. I am calling you to rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up and take a
1: your place. Y'all know you need to hear that though. You know, if you don't, don't know, know, now you know. If you don't know. Okay. You know. Yo, I'm so excited about Vagina Talks right now. Don't pretend like you don't know this is the best podcast you've ever listened to. Don't pretend like you don't know. You know. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Thank you so much. And thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sophia. (laughs) Remember, everything that we talked about in today's episodes will be in the show notes. So go there for links. For more content that you're going to love, subscribe, subscribe,
1: subscribe to this podcast. Share this episode with anybody you think you'll enjoy it. And share the love with a
0: rate or a review wherever you listen. And to find out about all the mad adventures I'm up to, check me out on Instagram at Sophia Wise One uh, or come to my website, sophiawiseone.com. I am Sophia Wise One, daughter of the wind. I am calling you to rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up and take your
1: place. Y'all know you need to hear that, though. You know. If you don't know, now you know. If you don't know. Okay. Yo, I'm so excited about Vagina Talks right now. Don't pretend like you don't know this is the best podcast you've ever listened to. Don't pretend like you don't know. You know.